This is another MP3 podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle, Australia. Welcome to Pet Chat and I'm Jane Klein and today our pet vet is Dr Mark Simpson. Hello Mark. How are you today Jane? And what will we be talking about? Well I was keen for us to have a bit of a yarn. It's not a specific veterinary matter but um, the health of bats and how they affect us. So that might be a topic to stimulate some discussion. And we certainly see them around especially these months. Uh, particularly in the summer months, they uh, get out amongst the fruit trees and into the gardens and, uh, and make their presence known. We'll find out about bats in just a while. Danny Boss is with us too. Hello, Danny. Hi there, Jane. And who will we be talking to today? Well, we've got Pam with us, who is from Delta Society, and we'll be talking to her about the, a training program for dogs that they're holding next year. Sounds great. Look forward to that. And we'll be taking your calls uh, on 49216216 from about half past 12. Keep your questions until then. If you've got a question you'd like to put to our pet vet, Dr. Mark Simpson, today, welcome again. And we're going to go straight to our special topic. Mark. That's a nice background noise. Yes, I think that's a muskrat sort of <laughs> trotting off into the, into the background. <laughs> but we're not going to talk about muskrats right now. We're going to talk about... Bats. We're going to talk about our um, lovely flying mammals um, that we see quite a few of around the place um, and um, maybe talk a little bit about the way that um, they interact with people, some of the aspects that they that we get to see about their interactions with people. Now, some people don't think they're lovely, of course. They sort of come roaring over and look, so they remind you of those uh, dark nights, moon, turret, all sorts of spooky things. And people, because they are associated with, uh, you know, a whole series of negative mythic uh, con- concepts, uh, people do start off from uh, a point of view of, you know, they're probably bad things to have around, um, when by and large that's quite the opposite. There's two broad groups of them, the, uh, the large fruit bats, the megacoropterans, and they, uh, they play an absolutely critical role in our forests in terms of uh, pollinating plants and uh, transferring seeds from different places. Um, and they, their numbers, despite the fact that we see huge numbers of them flying out of bivouacs like at uh, Blackbutt, um, they're still, their numbers have dropped dramatically in the last few uh, decades, and uh, that's a real problem for us. Have they? Oh, there's probably um, some estimates, maybe less than um, 20% of the numbers that were here before, you know, only 40 or 50 years ago. So what would have caused that? Mainly habitat destruction, the fact that the forests that they feed on um, in large parts of the East Coast have been cut down. Um, and, of course, their bivouacs, the, the um, you know, we've talked about uh, the problems that at Singleton has and up and down the coast there's a number of um, sites where they nest during the day before flying out to get their meals at night. Um, and these sites are also under some, you know, people don't like them being near where people live. Um, they're, they're, they have some unsavoury sensory input and so people are happy to move them on. But um, the bats don't do so well when their bivouacs are disturbed. So when you say unsavoury sensory uh, input, you're talking about smell? They do. They are. They are kind of, as much as I love the bats and I love being around them and love working with them, I'd be being dishonest to say they're nice-smelling animals. They do have a rather unpleasant odour. Um, but in the grand scheme of things, I think, uh, you know, the grand tapestry of life, um, I'm happy to put up with a little bit of that for the vast benefits they give to our wild world. So what sort of work have you done with bats? Well, the large part of the work that I get to do is uh, um, is uh, where injured wild animals um, need to be um, rehabilitated. They're... Uh, 
is a number of circumstances, particularly things like where uh, farmers may uh, lay a net over their orchard and the bats come down to eat the fruit, get tangled in the netting and, and fracture limbs or um, do damage to themselves that way. And, um, and a lot of those animals, unfortunately, have to be humanely euthanised because obviously we can't have a, a bat that can't fly. Um, and consider releasing it. Um, but a lot of them we can um, repair and get back to the wild. There's many orphans. Um, there's a good collection of people in the Native Animal Trust Fund who rear orphaned bats um, and uh, get them back to the wild. So interactions with those guys are very common. So they do come and eat fruit. If you've got a fruit tree in your backyard, you're likely to have a visit from a bat. Oh, it's very like, and I'm sure many of your listeners will be able to regale us with stories of the droppings on the clothes. If they accidentally leave the clothes out overnight, the bats will, um, they love coming into our lily pillies. The cocos palm, um, uh, which, which is a bit of a weed these days, uh, but the fruit from that, the bats love getting into and eating. And even the flowering gums, which are popular in our gardens now, they love to get onto those and have a go at the uh, nectar in those plants so they are very very common and most people will have them in their yard whether they know it or not each night so they don't restrict themselves to native plants though oh, not at all um, and that's an interesting thing too because where they would um, roam much further and they'd have a, a completely different diet um, now that we've changed the 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 basic pattern of plants because of our gardens and the way we've chopped down the native ones that changes their behavior as well now, what about diseases? We hear every now and again about diseases associated with bats. And they're a really important thing to be aware of because people who might come across an injured bat would be tempted to wrap it up in a towel and put it in a box and take it to someone like me who would look after it. Uh, but it's very important that they don't because there are some dangerous diseases that can be transmitted to people. The most important amongst these is the Lyssa virus, which is a distant relative of the rabies disease that occurs in North America. And um, there have been people in Australia who've died from the Lyssa virus. It is very rare, um, and it's not, uh, you know, an overwhelming um, problem, but there have been cases, and so I advise people to not touch a bat um, and in any circumstance. Um, get someone who knows what they're doing, someone who's been vaccinated against the disease, and get them to look after it. Any other uh, diseases we need to be wary of? Well, I w did want to mention one other one. It's um, probably one that I don't, I wouldn't, once again, I definitely don't want to have people scared of these animals, um, but there's an important disease to be aware of. That's the Hendra virus. The Hendra virus is a, a virus that the bats have um, that causes almost no problem for them. Um, but when a unique set of circumstances occur that the virus can infect a horse and then the horse can infect a human it becomes a very very dangerous disease and in fact um, uh, over the last couple of years we've had um, four or five veterinarians die after post-morteming horses that died from the um, the uh, Hendra virus this is something that's much more dangerous in Queensland um, it hasn't been recorded locally here but of course the bats travel vast distances and we must always be on our guard that is not a problem from the bats being in our yard. They, we can't catch it directly from the bats. And interestingly enough, scientists that have tried to transfer the disease from bats to horses in an attempt to study what happens to make it so dangerous haven't been able to do that. So it's not an easy disease to, um, to see happen, but people should be aware of it. 
Can you be vaccinated against that? No, the, the, the problems with research mean that we're not at the stage where you can be vaccinated for it. And there's a whole range of, um, in the veterinary community at the moment, there's a whole range of uh, biosecurity measures that I suppose as veterinarians, as in many professions, you become a bit uh, laissez-faire about what's going on around you and maybe don't get the gloves on or the mask on or um, whereas now with hendrovirus around uh, vets are much more acute if they're um, if they're doing a post-mortem they've got all that gear on they look like something out of a movie you're listening to to NURFM's Pet Chat and uh, we will be talking to Pam Withers in just a little about the Delta Society but before we do that Danny Boss Look, there's the last dog show of the year, Jane. Wahoo. That's happening at, at Morissette Showgrounds. It's the Gosford, uh, Gosford City Canine Society. They'll be holding their championship show. So if you want to have a look at some uh, purebred dogs on Saturday and Sunday this, this weekend, you can go to Morissette Showgrounds. Now... That's the last one. There'll be more, obviously, next year, but that's the last one for this year. And there's usually lots of Christmas fanfare happening at this dog show. So lots of people have got their Santa Claus hats and outfits out. Is that for the people or the dogs? The dogs. Some dogs get dressed up as well, so it's a bit of fun. <laughs> but I thought to recap on the year, we've had a very good year on, on Pet Chat Radio with lots of products that we've shared with people. We've had Glenn Vernon on, who's an animal behavioralist, and he's talked to us throughout the year, as well as Julie Tolliday. We've had the breeders that we've talked to, and if you recall, we've learnt about pugs, uh, we've learnt about uh, standard poodles and uh, the Maltese dog, and we learnt with the Maltese dog, it's not called Maltese Terrier, what some of us call them. It's actually just a Maltese dog and and about its ancient history being one of the oldest dogs in the world. Now, the other thing I thought I'd recap on is some of the fantastic Christmas products that are available in your pet specialty stores around this time of year for Chrissy presents. So you've got things like um, pet hamper packs. Remember, there's pet toys you can buy for your pet, whether it's uh, from a ferret to a dog and lots of toys in between for other different pets. Pet beds. Some of the exciting products we've talked about are like the Doog Walkie Belt, if you remember, just a few weeks ago, where it's a utility belt that uh, you can use while you're walking your dog, and it's got everything. It's even got antibacterial wipes in it. So if there's a bit of mess on your hand, you can clean it up. Everything you need. There's the snake repellers that are always popular around summertime because they repel snakes away from your yard. And the dog and cat behavioural collar, which is fantastic for when there's storms out there and your dog doesn't like and is quite anxious when there's storms. You can put this collar on them and it'll calm them down because it's got the pheromones that a mother releases when she's got puppies. So there's some good products out there for pets and and it's an ever-expanding range. So that's what I thought I'd just recap on, Jane. Sounds great, Danny. All those things happening. Well, we look forward to uh, finding out about the Delta Society in just a little moment. Pam is on her way home and has been caught in traffic, and uh, we'll, we'll catch up with her in just a little moment. And, of course, we're very happy to take your calls, 49216216. We'll get you through to us if you've got a question you'd like to put to Dr Mark Simpson, our pet vet. And on 2NURFM, you are listening to Pet Chat. And Danny Boss. 
We have caught up with Pam. That's right, we have. Pam is part of Newcastle Allbreeds Dog Training Club, and what I thought was excellent about this is that next year they'll be starting a seven-week Pet Dog Manners program. And we all realise here at Pet Chat Radio the importance of being able to have an obedient dog, a well-trained dog, because it just makes life with your pet a lot easier. And that's the important thing. And we want to make sure that our pets, we're committed to our pets and they're committed to us for the rest of their life and they don't get rehomed and they stay with our family. So Pam, thank you very much for for joining the show. Oh, you're welcome, Danny. Now this is a fantastic program beginning next year and it's made up of three components. Uh, The first one being training for good manners. Can you expand on this? Yes, like um, all things, uh, dogs are quite happy doing what they want to do in dog language. Yes. Uh, But now society we want them to live in our society so we have to turn them around and change them to live with us and uh, do what we want so um, we teach them a very humane way of uh, it's positive reinforcement yes There's no check chains allowed it's all done by rewards because we've found out that um, dogs will do it because they want to do it not because they've been pulled pushed or shoved into doing it and uh, and they learn quicker that way as well. It is an important way with positive reinforcement rather than fear, isn't it? It is. It is. I know that, you know, like people say, it's the noise of the check chain. I know how to use the check chain properly, but it's the noise that gets them to do it. Well, I'm sorry, but if the um, I uh, get hurt with something, I stay right away from it. And mm. I will get the noise. Yes, I would do it with the noise because I know it's going to hurt me. And so I'll do it straight away. And you mentioned it really uh, well in terms of dogs have to live in our society that we've created now. Yeah. And it's quite different to the wild uh, dogs, uh, the wild society dogs would normally live out in the wild. Yeah, sure. They're, look, they're quite happy digging holes in the wild and, and barking at the wild. But our neighbours don't like them barking <laughs> yes. at 2 and 3 o'clock in the morning yes. non-stop. Now, one, uh, point two here in terms of the training program, you've got educational talks for pet owners. Yes, we have um, volunteer vets come and give their talk, give a talk on um, uh, first aid and parasites. Uh, Robert Stabler comes on and talks on um, dog behaviour and um, what sort of if some of the dogs may have a problem of some sort, and he will help them and he will guide them and free of charge so um, we're very lucky in having all these vets come and, and give our talks the rangers come they give the, a talk on the uh, dog laws what um, what type of um, things to avoid getting fined and uh, they're very good that's Slate Macquarie Council of course yes it seems certainly packed with a lot of information no wonder it's a seven week program <laughs> Um, the, the third point, last point here is socialisation, fun and games, mm-hmm. obviously with your pet. Yeah, that's exactly right. Okay. The owner and pet that plays together stays together. <laughs> that's a good way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, now we look on uh, week six, we'll go on a street walk around um, Belmont. We'll call into the vets and um, have a way in at um, the Lake uh, Veterinary Clinic at uh, Belmont. And... Um, and then we go for a, down, a walk around down to the foreshores and we do some exercises down there where there's lots of uh, traffic, motor traffic as, as far as um, pedestrian crash traffic and there's also dogs that wander through and we try to teach the dogs 
how to behave in this sort of situation. That we train for the normal life situation. Yeah, that's a fantastic course by all, all sounds of that and information provided by a lot of experienced people. And yep. that's what's great, all coming together in the one spot. So where will it be held? Uh, it's held on the um, grounds down at Hillsborough, the dog complex, at the back in the, tr- in the obedience side where Newcastle All Breeds Dog Training Club's headquarters is. Yep. And um, we, we train on a Thursday night there from uh, 7 to half past 8. Okay, so it's, a, it's one and a half hours worth uh-huh. and seven weeks. Uh, at seven weeks. Okay. And I've got dates here. So the very first course starts on the 2nd of February, then the next one, the second course, 22nd of April, then there's uh-huh. 22nd of July and 14th of October. That's right, yes. Okay. And if anyone's interested, they have to ring me because we have to send them out a lot of paperwork that they have to fill out. We need to know all about your dog. And, right. And how you... What, what you think you dog and how you interact with your dog. We need to know everything. And it's available to all dogs, all yeah. breeds? Yeah, from four months of age on, all, all dogs, all breeds. Okay. And who do you think would be able to benefit from the program? Well, oh, the dog, for sure, because um, if it's a well-behaved dog, it will be allowed to go in various um, places, even come into the house. Yeah. And and if it's you know can come into the house and sit quietly on a uh, a mat while you're watching television, that's fine. And and uh, it's all the more um, to, togetherness with your dog. Yes. The owner will also um, benefit too because it's nothing nicer than walking down the street and someone says, "Gee, that's a good, well-behaved dog." Now, for anyone interested, the studio here will have um, the phone number on hand. We will leave that here. But also, phone number for people who might have a pen and paper handy is 49431110. And that'll get you Pam directly. That's right. Well, thank you very much for, for your help there and the information, Pam. Very much appreciate And it's great to see an organisation such as yourself doing something to help us out with behavioural uh, attitudes and behavioural issues with our pets. Thank you very much, Jenny, for the opportunity to make people aware that there is, there is help out there. There is. And our classes have only got six in them, so it's virtually one-on-one. Fantastic. That's Thank great. You. Many thanks, Pam, for joining us today. Thank you. And Pam is from the Delta Society. Now, um, we were talking earlier about uh, the behaviour of bats, Mark. Uh, what about other wild animals like magpies? I mean, we, we have a lot of birds, native birds and things, or well, not always native birds, but we have birds, wild birds in our, um, in our environment. Um, um, perhaps we're tempted to have build up relationships with them, give them some food. Is this a good idea? Well, it's not a good idea. Um, it's, it's a really frustrating area for us because um, generally the people that are doing that sort of thing, supplementary feeding or um, offering some additional food, are doing it from the very best place in their heart. They really have good intentions, but the consequences are often very dire. And it's not uncommon for us at all at the hospital to um, come across uh, juvenile birds who um, maybe are being fed by parents that are uh, getting an inappropriate diet and, of course, a rapidly growing young bird that doesn't get the right calcium or phosphorus, they can end up with rickets very badly. And, and of course, those poor birds end up um, often having to be euthanised as a direct result of the dietary supplementation. We always, we're always telling people that the best thing they can do to attract wildlife to their proximity is not to provide food, but to provide 
um, plants and water, an environment that the animals feel comfortable in rather than supplementary feeding them. So water's a good idea, especially if it's dry. Of course. Uh, um, there's, I've got several stations in my own garden where we uh, make sure there's fresh water all the time and, um, and that alone will be enough to bring lots of the birds in especially when we have days like yesterday. Now, we do have a caller on the line. Sue has rung in. She's rung 49216216. Hello, Sue. Oh, hello. You've got a question you'd like to put to Mark. Ah, yes, I would. Um, I have just recently moved in with my partner and I have brought two dogs into the home with me. Um, He has a beautiful veggie patch out in the backyard and my dog's want to go in there all the time and do their business how do i stop the dogs without putting up barricades from going into the veggie garden well see that's a very difficult question because the dog's nature is to uh to look to those areas of disturbed soil um those those areas particularly a vegetable garden has you know strong odors of manure from other animals and uh and those sorts of things and the dogs feel very um, territorial about it, and um, their way of marking that area as their territory is to um, is to use it as a toilet, um, and that's their natural instinct. So it is very difficult to, without a barrier, to prevent them from doing it. Many people know, uh, you know, they'll have gone to one of the nurseries and bought a lovely new tree, often very expensive, whacked it into the garden, and and can be quite a, a, a you know extensive garden and it's always the new tree that the dog will dig up and they do that because disturbed soil is something that they're used to searching through to find food um, and so if we plant a new plant um, then it's often a good time to you know create some sort of barrier or some sort of preventive thing there are some uh, uh, products on the market that are designed to um, mask or change the odor of an area um, and so there are some sprays that um, that will um, discourage dogs. They're often marketed to prevent dogs from toileting on the front of uh, people's, you know, well-kept lawn where they don't have pets and stray dogs might be going there. And sometimes these will work. I find them to be only moderately successful and particularly where there's a strong drive to mark a territory, it can be really difficult without a fence. I know I've got a vegetable garden and I have three dogs and we just cannot, you know, the only way we can keep them from the area is with a fence. Okay. Well, looks like that's going to have to be my solution. (laughs) Sorry, I couldn't give you a better one. No, that's okay. If I could just very quickly um, ask you another question, if you don't mind. Um, I have just, I lost one of my dogs and I've replaced her, I rescued a dog um, from the rescue centre. She's a beautiful shepherd, but when you take her for a walk, she pulls like no tomorrow and no matter what I do, I can't stop her from pulling. What's the best way to deal with her that way? Well, there are several quick things to talk about there. The first one is that um, I've got to take this opportunity to plug Danny's discussion with... uh with uh, Pam Withers, the Delta Society and a number of training organisations like that are definitely worth getting involved in, and particularly for uh, German Shepherd and German Shepherd cross dogs who are strong-willed working dogs who need um, a a good deal of control but have a good deal of drive. Getting involved in those things, uh, in those organisations, and the all breeds training club they're they're an excellent resource, and um, we've seen some dogs that were really, really 
troublesome, um, get involved in those things and improve dramatically. The other, I've, the other thing I find is that, um, that they're excited, that dogs, um, that, uh, pull on their, their, uh, lead, are excited. And so I often find that, um, that people that have trouble walking them do it less and less because it's more of a hassle and the dogs get more excited because it's something that happens less frequently. And so we try to make people do it regularly, do it very regularly and at a predictable time so that the dogs are, um, are not maybe as worked up about it and maybe today, maybe tomorrow, that they know that it's coming and so they'll be more um, calm about it. I'm One very regular with the way I walk them. I walk them at 5 o'clock every morning and then when I come home from work every night, well, that they, tip. they work twice at walk twice a day at the same time usually. And that tip probably doesn't apply to you then. The other one that I would use though is: uh, Are you using a collar or a? Um, yeah, I use a choker collar. Yeah, I I find um, that the halter type um, restrainers, the halties, or there's a number of different brand names. They're the ones that go um, around a muzzle. Some people mistake them for you know bite muzzle protectors, but they're actually um, just meant to restrain the head. When we the the ones that go the collars that go around the the neck, the check chains or other forms of uh, um, neck collars, they're working through the dog's centre of gravity and so a dog will push against them um, to get to where they want to go. When you've got a halter on a dog's head, um, if they push through it, they're, they're turned around and they have to face you and that's an important thing to get them to learn that they've got to follow you and not push away from you. Um, so lots of these dogs that pull on their lead we find do much better with a halty. Thanks for your call, Sue. That answers your question? Great. And Rooney is on the line. Uh, She joins us. Hello? Oh, no, it's a me. It's a you. It's a he. He joins us. 49216216. You've got a question you'd like to put to Mark? I do, actually. Um, Mark, I have a a big dog. It's a Rhodesian cross rock wheeler. Uh, She's a beautiful dog. About four or five weeks ago, I noticed that she had a a little... uh, It looks looked like a tick that was on her rib cage. Um, but it's not a tick, um, and it's like a little growth or a little cyst. There, we very, it's a really interesting thing that's happened, I suppose, in um, animal care over the last 40 or 50 years, that many of our dogs get to be a ripe old age where maybe half half a century ago, they didn't get to these ripe old ages. Um, they worked hard on the farm and they often passed away young. Whereas mm-hmm. now, the, the wonderful veterinary care, the products that come from Danny's shop, they mean that the dogs last for so much longer. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, the, the key thing about that is they end up with the diseases of um, old age. And that's a, a, the classic one, uh, uh, tumours and skin lesions and tags. Mm-hmm. And our motto is the best thing for them is to get them off. You want to remove them. So getting to a vet and getting them uh, to have a look at them and then remove them is a good thing. There's no lump on the skin that's a good one to have. There certainly are lots of them that are benign. There are lots of them that are, you know, are not going to be dangerous or, um, uh, but even those ones that maybe are not going to be um, malignant, um, they're going to be more trouble as they get bigger. They're going to get an ulcerated surface and bleed and get infected. And the the difficulty in removing them is always worse when they're bigger. So the sooner they get looked at and removed, the better in my book. 
Okay, so, I mean, um, she's only about uh, five or six years old. Um, she's not old in any shape or form, but, yeah, and it, um, it, it hasn't grown. I've, I've kept an eye on it. And it's not, sort of not growing or whatever it is, but you say that it would be best just to take it to the vet and get it taken off. I always reckon removing them. And even there's a very common... A lump that occurs underneath the skin that's a, that's called a lipoma and many aging dogs will get uh, a number of these under their skin and they can undergo malignant transformation so even something that's benign now might not remain that way so my motto get them cut them off as quick as you can there's a course of action thanks for your call rooney and uh, we go now to pat who's rung in hello pat hello how are you got a question for mark Yes, please. Uh, I want to know, like he was saying about feeding the wild birds um, with not the proper food. Um, like I, I get the um, rainbow lorikeets and I get the other ones with the red head, but, you know, still coloured. And I get the noisy miners and I get a couple of the um, uh, galahs. And um, who else do I get? Oh, I get the... Um, um, magpies. Uh, now I feed them on the wild bird seeds. Is that okay? Look, I'm... No, the short answer to that question is that it's not. And the wild bird seed is a... Um, it's it's what's left over when all the other good stuff's gone. It's the stuff oh, that um, okay. it's sort of like the seconds of the seed merchant's lot that oh. they mix up into to bags and, and sell. Um, and it's often very, very high in energy. It's, um, oh, okay. oh, yeah, well, the, the, the rainbow lorikeets, I'm afraid, yes, they, they squabble amongst themselves and they chase each other away and all that sort of thing. And that's part of what makes it fun to have them. They're such, uh, particularly the rainbow lorikeets, we often refer to them as the monkeys of the parrot world. They're entertaining, they're active, um, but um, feeding them diets like that is highly likely to cause them um, problems in the long term. And okay, well, what could, what could I give them then, um, you know? <sighs> And this is a, I mean, a perennial question um, that we get asked. There's I certainly... I, I don't give them too much. I mean, I don't give it to them every day. I... And you've, all, you've, you've hit the nail on the head there. It, making sure that they're not dependent on the food, um, putting yeah. it out irregularly, um, that's yeah. really important if you are going to provide food for them. Um, yeah. But putting some plants in the grevilleas and um, the... Oh, my next-door neighbour actually has done that, the one at the back of me, so he's grevilleas down and stuff like that so yes they go from me to him if there's no no food for them out this side they just go amongst you know amongst these um uh, little trees so, uh, that, and, um, and more and more of course they also get into my um uh, bottle brush and, and they love the flowering gums as well. And the energy they've oh. got to expend to get those, that's, that's you know, makes them, the effort they've got to fly around to get those. Where they get a big yeah. slab of food from your tray in one go, um, it's yeah. like us going to a restaurant and just eating one lot of food, whereas the birds that have to fly around and, and search and be inquisitive, they're much more likely to be healthy. So those plants are a good choice. This is to NURFM's Pet Chat, and uh, we have been taking calls from listeners, lots of interesting points. Ray joins us. Hello, Ray. Hello, how are you? Got a question for Mark? Yes, Mark. I have a pair of rosellas nesting in a box on my back veranda, and uh, the, the female is a standard uh, eastern rosella, but the male appears to me to be a cross between an eastern rosella 
and a crimson rosella. Is this unusual? It is a little bit unusual, but it's uh, something that we're seeing um, with increasing frequency. Um, uh, we've had a recent one where a pale-headed rosella um, appears to have hybridised with an eastern rosella and is breeding um, with a, a henbird as well. And I think um, there's a few aviary escapees that um, join up with uh, wild groups of birds, and particularly in the rosella group, we'll occasionally see ones like this. That, but um, you've done a great... The, one of the things about attracting birds to our gardens, um, lots of people try to put food out, but having nesting sites for them, and particularly close like that, um, uh, that's a real benefit for them. There's not nearly enough hollow logs around for the uh, rosellas to breed in, and if you provide them with nesting sites, they'll often come to them. Okay, thanks very much. Uh, the um, the cross-breaded the cross uh, red bird is particularly pretty. It has uh, a, you know much more dark, deep red on it, and uh, uh, it's a it's eastern rosellas are pretty, but this one's even even prettier. <laughs> It's a, in, in aviculture, there's lots of people who deliberately try to hybridise, um, different species to accentuate those colours and, and lots of, you know, lots of the hybrids are not nearly as pretty, but that, uh, that particular one, the, the, particularly the bright red head which goes all the way down the back, it's a beautiful bird. It is. Thanks for your time. Thanks very much for your call, Ray. And, uh, we're getting close to the end of, uh, our, uh, our, um, time. Our last show for the year, Pet Chat, on 2NURFM, but we've still got a couple of moments. It was very hot yesterday. Nobody will deny that. Mark, um, what should we be thinking about when it's very hot as far as our animals are concerned? Well, it's been playing on our mind a couple of times recently with the the temperatures spiking over um, 40 degrees. Um, It is a time when um, uh, dogs in particular struggle to maintain their their normal body temperature and can easily overheat. Um, and so um, the, the very simple things, just making sure that the dogs have uh, um, adequate water and often a nice big bowl of water they can lay in for some breeds. Big black Labradors really love to flop down into one of those uh, pools and keep cool. Making sure they've got more than one uh, water point. Um, we often find uh, when, when problems arise, it's because um, people have provided water and it's tipped over and the dog's had an extended period of the day where it's not had access to water. So making sure that they've got uh, a couple of different points in case an accident happens to one. Um, and also just making sure they're not, uh, they've got shade. I mean, these things are obvious and they seem uh, almost not worth saying, but you'd be surprised how often um, the confluence of circumstances comes together and, and, uh, and the dogs or other animals end up suffering. Well, just a final question for you both. Danny, you first, perhaps. How are you going to spend Christmas with your pets? Well, apart from dressing them up... <laughs> are you going to dress pets? them up? So, I'll see. I'll see how I feel. I think I'll be so worn out <laughs> that I'll just want to take it easy, honestly. But depending if it's hot or not, we will certainly do some things with the pets. And when you've got five wine runners, there's always lots of things that you can do. <laughs> Sounds like exercise might be one of <laughs> <Yes>. them. <laughs> and what about you, Mark? Well, my, my Christmas... Uh, morning in particular will be spent shooting to the hospital and looking after the ones that are in there. It's um, sometimes a thankless task, but it's, it makes me feel better later in the day to know they're good. So other people's pets as well as your own will be in the frame. And that brings us to the end of Pet Chat for this year. We'll be back next year in February. Thank you, Dr Mark Simpson. Thanks for having me and have a good Christmas. And thank you, Danny Boss. Thank you, Jane.